Today may be the only time you ever hear these readings in church. During the merry, merry month of May, we are using Bible readings that feature women in a collection of readings that Ginger put together for this month. Neither the Genesis nor Mark passage for today are used in the three-year cycle of readings called the Revised Common Lectionary used by the Episcopal Church and many other denominations. The passage from Mark, which includes Mary Magdalene as the first apostle of the resurrection, is not in the lectionary because it was not part of the original Gospel of Mark. It does not appear in the earliest manuscripts. Mark's Gospel ends with the women fleeing the empty tomb, saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid. There is no resurrection appearance. Many scholars believe this was intentional implying that we now carry the, the message of the resurrection, that the risen Christ has no body now, but ours. Personally, I prefer this argument. Others argue that the gospel was never finished, or that perhaps the final page of the manuscript was lost to time. But all agree all agree that our passage today was added later by Christians who could not stand the lack of a resurrection appearance. And uh, we now have the snake handling churches, thanks to them, with that addition of the passage. This past Friday, there was a special service at Grace Cathedral focused on ecological justice with our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, who is the head of the Episcopal Church. A portion of this added ending of Mark was used as the gospel because of its unique phrasing of the Great Commission. Go into the world and proclaim the good news of the whole creation. The emphasis here is that the resurrection of Jesus is for the redemption of all creation, not just people. Presiding Bishop Curry is a powerful and passionate preacher. I think of him as Martin Luther King Jr. in vestments. And his preaching always makes me feel like uh, the white men can't jump version <laughs> of a preacher. But it is always a gift uh, to get to hear him share the good news. He spoke of our calling to bring the new creation into all creation. That as followers of Jesus, we are called to transform the world from the nightmare it often is, into the dream that God intends. I think that's his favorite line. To transform the world from the nightmare it often is, into the dream that God intends. 
He said that we praise God by caring for the environment, ensuring clean water, and honoring the earth. And yes, proclaiming the good news to all creation means advocating for policies that balance short-term economic concerns with the long-term sustainability of the planet. He told a story of the gathering of all the bishops throughout the Anglican Communion and the bishop of the Solomon Islands standing up and saying that he wanted to address all of the bishops from America. He said, during World War II, we were your friends. Now the water is rising. In fact, the Solomon Islands are figuring out with New Zealand and Australia how they might relocate their entire population if needed due to climate change. The Bishop of the Solomon Islands said to the American bishops, we were your friends. Now we need you to be our friends and help address this issue of the rising waters. The story of Hagar from Genesis is particularly timely for our understanding of our current world, especially with the president visiting Saudi Arabia this weekend. And it also contains some significant elements that make its omission from our lectionary problematic. Our lectionary does include the story of Abraham sending Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness at the request of Sarah after Isaac has been born. But the remarkable passage from Genesis we heard this morning is not included in our cycle of readings. There are three Abrahamic faiths, three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Hagar and Ishmael settled in an area that is now known as Mecca in Saudi Arabia. The most holy site in Islam is a house of worship that according to tradition was built by Ishmael and Abraham. And the pilgrimage to Mecca made by so many Muslims includes a ritual that reenacts Hagar searching for water for her child in the wilderness. Ishmael is said to be the first person who spoke Arabic. And most importantly, the prophet Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael. Hagar is the link to what would become Islam. And it's all right there in Genesis. Hagar, a slave of Sarai, is put in the role of being a handmaid that was an accepted practice in the ancient world. A wife who could not conceive could give her slave to her husband, and any children born would be the legal child and heir of the wife and husband. Once pregnant, Hagar sees herself as more than just a vessel for her master, and Sarah becomes jealous and abusive. 
Hagar flees into the wilderness. And here we have one of the most extraordinary passages in Scripture. An angel of the Lord appears and gives the very first birth annunciation in the Bible. Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael. Does that sound familiar to you, the words of the angel? Then Hagar does something that appears nowhere else in the Bible. She names God. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, which means the God who sees me. In the NIV translation, Hagar then says, I have seen the God who sees me. So in this one Genesis passage, we have the first annunciation in Scripture, a covenant statement that God will multiply her offspring similar to the covenants made with the patriarchs. The only person who names God in the Bible and a direct link to one of the three great Abrahamic faiths. It should trouble us that our Christian worship omits this narrative of a slave girl who has such a significant role. The story of Hagar should increase our respect for women in the Bible, and I hope for the founding of Islam. Hagar has been an inspirational figure for oppressed women. African-American slave women found solace and power in her. In her statement that she has been seen by God, Hagar asserts her own personhood and a direct not mediated relationship with God. As a socially marginalized slave, her most intimate relationship is with God, not Abraham or Sarah. On a more personal and spiritual level, the story of Hagar is one of hope and strength for all of us. We all have times of suffering in our lives, sometimes mild, sometimes great suffering. Many of us work very hard to hide our suffering, which can be its own form of suffering. Others of us dwell in our suffering which is often about trying to draw others into our suffering. When we suffer, it is natural to ask, where is God? God does see us in our suffering. That alone is significant and important to remember. Yet the story of Hagar is not just about God seeing her affliction, but Hagar seeing God's mercy. 
The naming of God is an act of gratitude and liberation. The story of Hagar affirms that God sees us and invites us to look for where God's mercy is present in our lives. It's not always easy to see. Sometimes it takes time. But God has promised to always be merciful to us. And when we do encounter that mercy, may we, with Hagar, proclaim, You are El Roy, the God who sees me.